0: So what have we got to say about the prophet with a death wish? It's not very complimentary, by the way. The Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games which was very unique. I think I've mentioned this before. The winner was not the runner who finished first. Rather, it was the runner who finished with his torch uh, still lit Sadly, in the case of Jonah, the flame of his church failed to shine at the end of his ministry in the book that bears his name. It could not be said of him what was recorded of John the Baptist. He was a burning and shining light. John 5, verse 35. William Cuthbertson, a former president of Moody Bible Institute, once said, it is important to start right, but it is imperative to end well. Unfortunately, that was not the way Jonah finished his public ministry, as recorded here in the Scriptures. The last time we thought about a couple of things, by way of introduction, we thought of Jonah's anger. As we meet him, he's an angry man, and as we see him finally in this chapter, he's still an angry man, nothing has changed. Still to see him. I do not know how he ended up. I couldn't say for sure. But I'm convinced of great things of God because God showed him mercy and compassion all the way through this book. And I'm sure that God in his grace had mercy upon him and opened his blinded eyes and brought him afresh to himself. He fumed at God for showing compassion upon the people of Nineveh. You can see him. The veins are bursting in his neck. His face is red and beaming. His fists are clenched in the face of God. That's the picture we have of Jonah and his anger. Then we also thought about his his attitude. Enough has been said. We've got to think in the third place about Jonah's anguish. Jonah was really depressed, I think. He was so miserable at the way things had turned out that he wanted to die. You can see this prayer that he offered therefore now O Lord take I beseech thee my life from me he must have been feeling pretty low at this point of time when he prayed that prayer take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live you can imagine how he must have felt miserable, depressed in his own heart and his own soul now one author made this comment this is the time honored grown up version of the child's I'm not playing with you anymore he was very childish and it is possible for us all to become very childish and we find him huffing a lot and it's easy for us to huff too we find him complaining it's easy for us to complain we do it all the time don't we From the pulpit out, we're all the same. Here's a great man, used of God to see a city turn to the Lord in repentance, yet he's only a man. Prone to falter, prone to fail, and if anyone thinks they cannot fail, there's something wrong. Because we all do it. And we all do it quite well at times. Jonah was not the first to want to give up. I think of 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, 4 and 5. One day, Elijah climbed Mount Carmel to have a showdown with all the false prophets of Baal. To all these pagan priests, we all know the outcome, what God did. The great victory that he achieved under God. Two days later, he's alone in the desert under a juniper tree. What's he doing? He's asking the very same thing. He's asking God to take away his life. What has happened to this great man? Well, he said, I only am left. He thought he was the only one that was serving God. And sometimes it's easy for a believer to get to that place when they think that they're the only one serving God and nobody else is doing it right. Now, that's a very sad place to get to. It's a very dangerous place to get to. And unfortunately, this man got to this dangerous place in his experience. But God then came and he said to Elijah, you're not alone. I have 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. And I think Elijah felt that the public response to his ministry was hollow. It was not lasting. And here in the situation in the book of Jonah, A number of days had passed. The Bible talks about these 40 days. Nineveh was not destroyed. He saw the people take off their sackcloth. He saw them taking off, getting getting up out of the ashes. Nothing had happened, and life soon began to get back to normal again. His pride was hurt because he felt his ministry had been discredited. He wanted to die because of that because of his reputation what do I mean by that well he had entered into Nineveh and he cried yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown or destroyed or wiped out that was the message of doom and because it didn't happen he felt that his ministry had been discredited but God had better plans he had preached doom but God sent deliverance he had lost his sense of perspective, what he was really engaged in, who he really was. He was a zealot, a nationalist, who had no love for other nations, especially the Syrians, the people of Nineveh. He wished them to die. He wished them to perish. And all the Israelites had the same opinion about the Assyrians. They had no love for them at all. It's hard to love people like that, isn't it? But this is what God showed to these people. Compassion and love. He was occupied with self. And you will notice the pronouns in his prayer in verses 2 and 3. I, find find them for yourself, my and me. And one author said, Jonah was caught between the vice of his own self-will and the strong hand of God. And guess who won? The more he pushed, the more God pressed. The more he fought, the more God resisted. That's the way God works. We can fight, we can resist, we can rebel until God puts the pressure on. God was putting the squeeze on Jonah. Jonah had to be humbled. He had to be chastened. He had to be dealt with. And that's not a great place to get to when God has to do that with his people. But sometimes that's the only way. He can speak through his word. We can ignore that. Uh, he can speak through circumstances ignore that as well but sometimes he needs to come and put the pressure on the pressure's on now the more he pushed the more God pressed, he was miserable he was down in the dumps he was depressed, he was going to remain depressed until God had his way that's it, no way out of it he had to bow before God so what did he do he left the city climbed the hill to higher ground, the east side of the city, get a better view of what would happen. He hoped. He hoped that the city would yet be destroyed, that God would change his mind. Oh no, Jonah was the one who had to have his mind changed. He got some branches together and built a little makeshift shelter for himself to give him some shade from the noonday sun. And he sat down, sulking. He's waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. Do you see him there? Miserable, sad. What a picture of a man of God. So geographically, he's outside Nineveh. Chronologically, he was in the days of revival because God had sent revival. And spiritually, this is the point. He was cold. He was indifferent. He was dead. He became a spectator because he's sitting down now. He had been on his feet. He had gone into the city declaring the word, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But now he sat down. Twice over, we're told that he sat down. So he becomes a spectator. God never called him to be a spectator. God called him to an activity, God called him to a ministry. And there he just sat down to watch. He was no longer involved, you see. People huff and stop getting involved. I've been around long enough to discover that. You've been around long enough to also discover it. Something happens. People get annoyed. And then they come up with these funny conclusions. What kind of people are in this place? Well, it's the same kind of people that's anywhere else. Oh, we have got to get away from this place. we we'll go to another church and everything will be blessed there. And that did happen for a little while. But the people over there are just the same as everybody else. So he's no longer involved. He's just a spectator. He's given up. He wants to die. God doesn't care for me. He didn't honor my preaching. He doesn't really care about me. And sometimes when you enter that state of mind, you're very vulnerable. So that's Jonah's anguish. But then we've got to move on and say something else. We've got to talk for a minute or two about Jonah's arrogance. So Jonah was disgusted with the outcome of his preaching. So disgusted that he asked God to take away his life. How terrible was his spiritual condition at that moment? Jonah greatly disrespected God by not answering God's question that they asked in verse 4. Dost thou well to be angry? Or have you any right to be angry? He greatly disrespected God. He didn't even answer God. He didn't answer the question that had been posed. How arrogant he was. Oh, he's continuing to go down, you know. He's sliding down that slippery slope. What a a spectacle. What a mess he's made of his life and his ministry. What do the people of Nineveh think about the prophet now? We often have heard the phrase, you've heard of the patience of Job. Job was a patient man. But here we see the patience of God. And God was very gentle in dealing with this rebellious, arrogant, depressed, down-in-the-dump servant. He just said, "'Dost thou well to be angry?' And you know what the proverb says? A soft or gentle answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Where have we heard that before? Have we ever experienced that? Yes, of course, in our own hearts we have. Who here hasn't? I think we all must raise the right hand and say, yes, that's, that's just a picture of me. So God comes in a very gentle way to reprove a servant. This arrogant man but he doesn't even show respect to God to answer God. You can imagine the state this man's heart is in before God. The answer did not stop Jonah's anger, but it did stop his mouth. He shut up after that for a time anyway. He stopped his complaining. We don't hear about it in the Bible anyway. And he's writing this book. He could have said a lot more about just his whole attitude, but he says enough. And by the way, it really takes two to make an argument. So God wasn't going to argue with him. It always takes two to form an argument, to create an argument. So God very gently responds, but he doesn't even answer God. The weather was hot and very oppressive. The Lord took pity on the angry prophet sitting outside the, the city of, of Nineveh. And the Bible says the Lord prepared a guru to provide shelter for Jonah. Now what did this angry, arrogant man need at that point of time? He needed to cool off. And sometimes when we're under pressure and we feel rage and anger burning up within our hearts against Uh, a believer against a fellow believer against somebody else against God against God we just need to cool down a wee bit and that's what needed to happen and I think we wouldn't have as many wild arguments and rows if we thought about that for a moment and tried to emulate what's happening here when we feel that way we need to cool down need to calm down Take a few deep breaths step back from the situation for a minute or two and see how would jesus do this how would god do this well he gave to jonah a gentle answer he didn't provoke him he just gave him a gentle answer and the lord provided this shade the hebrew word translated "gird" as only occurs here in the old testament it's generally taken to mean castor oil plant maybe he really did need a dose of castor oil uh, and his experience it might have lightened him up a wee bit I don't know if I'm right in saying that or not but something needed to be done with Jonah maybe it was a vine but God provided that to be a shadow over his head verse 6 protecting him from the blazing desert sun so God provided comfort and then we're told in verse 6c Jonah was exceeding glad of the gird. That is remarkable. Why do I say that? Jonah was exceeding glad, or we could say he was very happy. He was thrilled about it. And I say this is remarkable because this is the first time in the book that Jonah has been happy about anything. Do you see that now? It's all there. We laugh. We say, yes, that's it. It's true to life. These things happen in the, the heart and the life of a believer, of a preacher. This is what's going on here. And if it goes on in the heart of a preacher, I'm sure it goes on in the heart of the layman as well. The heart of a regular, ordinary child of God. We're all the same. Tired with the same brushes, I say, and as all the same. Not one bit of difference. Nothing displeased, Jonah, in the book. Except this. Selfish. He was getting protection from the son by the gourd. God is finally doing something for Jonah. He was selfish. He was petty. He was arrogant. And in the moment of need, he looked to the gourd, or the vine, instead of God. And sometimes, that's the way it is in our time of need. We look to the blessing instead of the blesser. The blessing was the gird. He, 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 he was thrilled with the gird. Not so much with God. He's angry with God, you know. He's still shaking his face in the fist of God. And he's going to have a come down. No doubt about it. It's coming down. It's coming down. This is here in this holy book before us for a reason. For a purpose. It's here designed by God. Written by the finger of God for us all to hear having caused the gourd or the vine to spring up God then did something else God prepared a worm to destroy the gourd verse 7 that didn't please Jonah not one bit so that it withered. and the word for worm uh, refers to the little worm that the ancients obtained the red dye from squeezed, and they got the red dye. And then after that, God prepared a vehement east wind that brought Jonah to the point of fainting from the terrible heat, verse 6. So he's sitting there. The shade comes up. He's thrilled. He's overjoyed. Then God prepares a worm. And the night, and the next morning, Jonah wakes up, and he's very, very hot. He's very, very warm again. Oh, he had been cold, but now he's hot again. Do you see that? It's hot again and he knows there's something wrong and he takes a faint the sunstroke now that brings nausea you can imagine how he must have been feeling at that moment of time nauseous sick and dizzy and all suffering from sunstroke and now jonah became angrier than ever before and again expressed in verse 9 his wish to die and he said I do well to be angry even unto death and God began to explain to Jonah something Jonah would have rescued that gourd had he had opportunity to do so so God rescued Nineveh when he had opportunity and Jonah needed that worm so that he might start looking to God and not to the gourd And sometimes God, yes, we're thankful to God for the gourd, giving the shelter, but at the same time, we're thankful to God for the worm. Because sometimes God protects us by removing the vine, by the very thing we consider to be an adversary, that we may look afresh to him. And that's what God was doing. He he comforted him, gave him the shade, he was thrilled, he was blessed with that, and then the next thing God took the worm so that Jonah might get his eyes of the gourd and unto him the blesser rather than the, and what was given. God prepared them both. So we looked at two things. Finally, time is gone. Jonah's answer. At this point, God asks a second question. Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? Verse 9. And he said, now he speaks again, He's given an answer this time. I do well to be angry even unto death. Now we hear no more from Jonah after that. That's it finished. He's done. His voice falls silent. He has nothing more to say. So God. So Jonah met God's question with a stony silence. And that is the usual reaction when a person sulks. People speak to us and we don't answer them we just sit wrapped up in our own miserable little world that is so true to life when we begin to look in over much we may feel our worthlessness more and more we withdraw from company we withdraw from family and friends we withdraw from the prayer meeting we withdraw from the house of god and fellowship with god's people We just can't tolerate them we get into such a state we lose out with god we get so far down the slopes there it's hard to get up again it's hard to think right it's hard to get right then oh my that's the way it is in life we get onto that slippery slopes and it continues all the way down all the way down and so this is the situation and god emphasized the callousness of jonah by telling him that there were at least 120,000 children in Nineveh who knew not the difference between the right hand and the left, and that's what the reference is to children. Jonah had pity in the gourd, but God spared Nineveh. These are the same words in the Hebrew. And it means to have compassion on someone or something to the extent that you would spare them from harm, sorrow, or destruction. So Jonah had pity in the gird. You can see where his heart was. Self. But God spared none of it. Verse 11. Now, we will come to, near the end. And that's the strange way the book comes to an end. And when we come to the end of this book, we notice that God had the first say. In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Okay, God had the first word. You come to the end of the book, verse 11, again God is speaking. God had the first word, and God had the final word. God always always will have the final word. There's no doubt about it. God spoke, and that was it. It's interesting, and you've no need to turn to it now, but that Jonah and Nahum are the only two books in the Bible that end with questions, and both have to do with Nineveh. Nahum ends with a question about God's punishment of Nineveh, chapter 3, verse 19. It only has three short chapters. And Jonah ends with a question about God's pity for Nineveh. So the book ends with a question about compassion. How did Jonah answer that question? We don't know. We don't know, really. So the question remains for us to answer. We're not told that Jonah had a change of heart. We have every reason to believe in a God of mercy who pursued Jonah throughout this book we have confidence in God God turned him to show him the foolishness of his heart so the story begins it, it ends where it began Jonah still an angry man full of prejudice he couldn't believe that God would love the people of Nineveh that's where it ends but Jonah had to return home He had to take up the pen and he had to write his story and he told it truthfully and accurately. That's why I believe there was hope for this man because the way he expressed himself and the great detail he went into would indicate to me that there was a possibility of repentance. That's my taking things in a way because God is full of mercy and compassion. In conclusion, Jonah was a prophet of God but his ministry stands in feeble contrast to the prophetic ministry of Christ in Matthew chapter 12 we read of a greater than Jonas is here now we can think about this man and all of his failures and faults and everything else it would be a very sad place to end the whole story I just want you to lift your eyes from Jonah to Jesus Because a greater than Jonas is here, Jesus Christ is greater than Jonas for several reasons. Number one, Christ willingly shared his word with all men. He did not run from the will of the Father. He pursued the will of the Father. He voluntarily obeyed the Father and came into the world to reveal the mind of God. That's why he is greater than Jonah. Christ desires all men to repent jonah preached to the ninevites but did not care for their salvation jesus christ does he comes to him he delights in those who come to him seeking salvation so he's greater than jonah and then christ is greater in power jonah is a prophet he could only exhort the ninevites christ was both the word of god and the way to god he gives to eternal life to as many as common, many, as many as believe. So he's far superior. He's greater. And then we could also think about Jonah's failures, and they remind us of our failures, but they ought to make us look away to the one who's greater than Jonah, the great prophet who reveals the father who is mighty to save and mighty to forgive. So we've been on a journey with Jonah. Ups and downs. Encouragements, disappointments. True revelation of what men are really like. Anger, anguish, frustration, coldness, indifference. A revelation of our own hearts. And in the light of who we are and what we know ourselves to be, we need to look to Christ, the perfect one, the all-glorious one, the all-powerful Savior, our Savior, our great Redeemer, who is gracious and full of compassion, even in us when we falter and fail. And he lifts us up when we fall, when we falter along the pathway of life. He restores our souls. He's the good shepherd seeking after us, not leaving us to ourselves, but always coming after us with mercies and riches of grace to bestow upon us. Blessing after blessing, shower after shower of blessing. Oh, what a savior we have tonight what a wonderful redeemer we have. An all glorious saviour. His name is Jesus. He had done all things well. He ever loves to intercede on behalf of his people. And that's where he's at now. God's right hand. Praying blessings upon his church. Remembering us. We're weak and nobodies. Full of sin and our selfishness. That's the way we are. But he's full of compassion. He's altogether lovely. There is himself 10,000 to our souls. He never sleeps. He never panics. He's never out of control. He's never done a jam. He's always ahead, working out his own divine purpose for his church in this sinful, evil world. And he's given us a great charge. Preach the word. Leave the rest to him. May God bless his word tonight.